Welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover, your home for ice fishing news, tips, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast. It's late July and, uh, you know, as hard as it may be to believe, we're really only about five months away from mid-December. I mean, five months from right now, we will probably be walking on the old hard water. So I think uh, a lot of people excited about that, especially when it's 95 degrees out. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it is hard to believe that. I mean, summer goes by quick, but it's the way that winter is in the Midwest. It's here. It seems like it's here for forever. So it feels like we just kind of got summer, but winter's right. really not that far away either. No, it's going. It's going really fast. Uh, once again, joined by Blake Tollefson today. Uh, Blake, one of the things that you like to do a lot this time of year is go out and chase those crappies. I mean, they're obviously a lot of fun in the winter, but a lot of fun in the summer as well. I find them super easy uh, to locate in the spring, but in the summer, they kind of start moving around, and I think it becomes a little bit more difficult to locate them. As this season kind of progresses, you know, what do you do to go out and and find these crappies? So really, you know, if I know where they spawn, that gives me a great starting point because they're likely really not that far from – from where they were in the spring. Crappies don't move <clears throat> that much. Um, depending on the body of water, you know, you'll find them anywhere from the weeds to kind of roaming those open basins. And then in lakes like we have in Wisconsin that have a lot of woody cover or cribs, they tend to, you know, hit those areas as well. But I like to start where they were spawning and then I try to find the nearest weed line. And that's kind of where I start my search. This time of year, they should be either right up next to those weed lines or you know suspended somewhere close to the edge of those weed lines so that's usually kind of the best place to start all right it's it is uh, kind of late july right now as things go further towards fall what will those crappies do as we kind of get into september and even october yep so typically they this is all to, you know depend on the lake but typically they push further away from those weeds so if you know where they're at in the middle of winter you know where they're at in the summer start somewhere in between there. So um, in a lot of the lakes in my neck of the woods, what they'll do in kind of that late August, September timeframe is they start to go out and suspend in the open water basins. Uh, so basically you're looking for big schools just roaming around. And then if you have things like I mentioned, like that woody structure or cribs, like those are fantastic places to go uh, basically from late August through, you know, the early part of winter. It seems like those are kind of just fish mains during that time period Middle of summer, some lakes, you know, will hold fish, but a lot of them, it seems like those cribs are kind of null and void, at least of crappie life. Uh, but then as the season progresses, they tend to be a great place to, to go. When you're out looking for these crappies this time of year, what are they going to look like on the sonar? You're looking at your electronics. What is it, What does a school of crappies kind of look like this time of year? it's depending on how big it is. I mean, it could look just like a giant blob and you know how close they are together, or you might see just a series of arcs. Um, You know, if it's a smaller, like a smaller school, it might only be five or 10 fish. When you see these massive schools, it's just this ginormous blob. Um, Typically uh, this time of year, like I said, they're somewhat close to the weed lines, either right up next to them in those weeds or, uh, suspended out just a little bit away from those and a lot of times that <clears throat> has to do with weather conditions at least in in my neck of the woods 
So on those days where you're having those consistent weather patterns, you're going to find fish in those same areas uh, up against those weed lines. But when you have maybe a cold front that comes in, it might force those fish to go a little bit deeper, uh, push away from those weed lines. All right. What are your favorite lures this time of year to chase crappies with? Uh, for me, I, if I could only pick one, it would be a, a small paddle tail. I like the Eurotackle B vibe. That's a two-inch paddle tail, and it's just really versatile. I mean, you can use it at any speeds. You can use it at any depth, um, and fish just like to eat it. It has a, a lot of action on a, on a small paddle tail. <clears throat> so that, uh, and basically, I'll pair that up with a 16-ounce jig most of the time. Uh, but if it's going to be, you know, fishing really shallow, I'll probably go to a 32nd. Or if I'm tending to fish a little bit deeper, I'll go to a 1 8th. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of other lures. If if I could pick one, it would be that. But I do throw a lot of small crankbaits. Uh, small jerkbaits work really well for working over the tops of weeds. Because uh, you can snap them and then just pause them and let them suspend there. And that's oftentimes when you have those fish come grab it. Curly tails, uh, those work well. You know, if you want to do some trolling versus casting or vertical jigging, that's where uh, things like a beetle spin come into play. You can put whatever plastic you want on the end of that jig. But <clears throat> it just gives it a little bit more flash, a little bit more something to attract those fish. Um, and then that's when I'm using things like crankbaits a lot more often as if I'm trolling and trying to cover water. Yeah, I don't think people think of crappies when they think trolling. Talk a little bit about that and, and kind of how you go about trolling for crappies. What does that spread look like? What's the speed look like? I mean, I just don't, I, I actually have a friend of mine that's been doing it lately and been really successful doing it, but I, I don't think most people think of trolling when they, when they think of crappies. Yeah, it, it works really, really well, especially if those fish tend to be a little bit more scattered. Um, you know, if, if they're all located in one like specific area, you're better off, you know, spot locking or anchoring and casting at them. But if they're spread out, um you know over a flat or something it, it's a lot more effective to actually just troll and so typically what i'm doing is a jig and a plastic or a, a jig of plastic and then like an inline or hairpin spinner like on a, you'd see on a beetle spin um <clears throat> uh, crankbaits smaller crankbaits will work well something like a, a number five shad wrap is probably like the biggest size i would go uh, i tend to go more towards like that one and a half two inch range at the, the max end um, and basically somewhere between, I would say 0.8 and 1.5. So you kind of got to let the fish tell you what's going on. Starting at like a mile an hour, 1.2 is probably a, you know, a good starting speed. Um, you know, there's fish in the area and they're not eating. You can either bump that speed up or slow it down. And I, I'm All just right. using spinning rods for that. There's not a reason to, to really use specific trolling, um, trolling rods for panfish in particular, because you're using lighter lines and stuff anyways so pretty light line pretty light stuff um you talked about rods you can just use a spinning rod for for trolling how about rods for either casting or just doing vertical jigging yeah so typically if, uh, casting rod i <clears throat> look to something a little bit longer just because you're making casts away from the boat gives you you know a little bit more length to actually set the hook and then fight the fish back to the boat so typically if i'm casting something in that seven foot range so what I'm looking for, I like a light power and extra fast action just because it transitions into that backbone a lot faster. Uh, vertically jigging, typically <clears throat> I'll go with something shorter. Uh, usually when you're vertical jigging, the idea is to stay close to the boat. So something in that six to six and a half at the max end is probably ideal. Uh, my personal favorite is a six, four light. Um, 
and then either a fast or extra fast action. Same kind of concept. You want it to transition to that backbone really quickly. All right. Uh, how about uh, line? What kind of line are you usually fishing? I know in the summertime we're fishing these crappies. We're, we're out there with two, maybe three pound line, really light. Uh, what kind of line are you setting your summertime rods up for crappies with? So for all of my casting and vertical jigging setups, I'm using like a, a micro braid. So the reason I like that micro braid is it's just, you get that added sensitivity, things you don't get with monofilament or straight fluorocarbon. Uh, not to mention you can cast way further with a small micro braid than you can with uh, a standard braid or uh, mono or floral. Uh, but then with my trolling setups, I'm actually just using mono. So four pound mono on everything. Uh, seems to work well for trolling. Just gives it that little bit of extra shock factor, uh, especially when you're trolling small crankbaits, little hooks. Crappies have soft mouths. Uh, it's a little bit more advantageous to use something like mono in that sense. Uh, with that braid, I am using a light fluorocarbon leader, so something like a three, four pound fluorocarbon leader, and then just adjusting it. You know, if it's super clear water, I'll put on a, a, a really long one, but if it's relatively stained water, I don't worry about length too much. Uh, just gives it, uh, you know, it, the fish can't see it, and then you do have that abrasion resistance of fluorocarbon too. All right, we've talked a lot about uh, artificial stuff. How about live baits? Uh, I know uh, just about every ice angler worth of salt is going to be walking around with a minnow bucket in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. Do you uh, play around with minnows in the summer? In the summertime, I typically don't. Um, one, there's not really a reason for it. There's an old rule of thumb. Um, I can't remember when I heard this, but basically, if your hands get cold dipping them in the middle bucket, that's a good time to use minnows. Uh, and in the middle of summer, your hands are going to get cold dipping your hand in the middle bucket. So leave artificial or leave the live bait and just use artificials. Uh, there's, I have, I've tried it. I've had way more success with just using plastics or small crankbaits, things like that. And I think it's mainly because this is kind of the time when their <clears throat> uh, metabolisms are at their peak. Those fish are hungry. Uh, they have no problem eating the plastic whatsoever. So it's, it's a lot more convenient. You're not stopping at a store. It's not keeping live bait you know, alive in the summer. is not always an easy task either. So it just takes all that separate out of the equation. Very good. Is there something about summertime crappie fishing that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about today, Blake? No, I think uh, I think we covered it all. Just, uh, you know, get out there and, and try it. It's the, the reason I like crappies so much in the summer is that, you know, everybody thinks about the springtime crappies. Well, during this time of year, I've had some of my like far better days in terms of numbers in the summer than in the spring. Um, it seems like when you find that right school, it's just loaded. And you can, you know, that's when you can have those hundred fish days. Very good. Well, let's move on to another topic today. I want to talk about muscle sniffing dogs and, uh, you know, invasives are becoming a bigger, bigger story every day. I think with more and more boats now getting put in the water, um, people getting outdoors, it's it's becoming even more important. Uh, there was recently a tournament out in North Dakota, the Governor's Walleye Cup, and North Dakota borrowed some dogs from the state of Washington to kind of sniff out uh, quagga mussels and zebra mussels. Uh, what do you think about that story, Blake? I think it's a really interesting way um, of detecting these things. You know, uh, a lot of these smaller, you know, invasives, you can't really see them too well on a boat. You know, you might just see a few little black dots here and there. So having 
having this ability to, to detect them without actually seeing them is fantastic. My question is, is it worth all the extra effort? You know, that's a, uh, I can't imagine having these dogs in at you know, several different landings is, is a very cheap thing. I mean, for every dog you have, you got to have at least one person with them. I think it's really cool, but is it cost effective? That's kind of the, the question I like to ask. Yeah, I, I don't think it is. I, I think that, you know, we wouldn't be covering this story if they did, you know, if they just did it the standard way. You know, people love dogs. People, um, you know, they're attracted to them. They see pictures of them. They see them doing things and they, they're interested in it. I think this was more, you know, obviously, you know, the dogs make it more efficient, get the trailers in and out. You know, they're not, they don't have to look. They're basically picking up scent on these muscles and they're mm -hmm. trained to do so. So it's faster. Um, more efficient and actually they're they're better at detecting them than the human eye is but i think the main thing it does is it creates um you know some outreach type efforts it makes people aware of it and i think it gets them in the news you know these dogs actually came over from the state of washington uh to look yeah. at it and I, I think you're right i mean it's it's not something that uh is probably going to be you know something you'll find at every launch in your state soon i don't think that's going to happen but this was just one of those deals that it just got them some press and got people thinking about what they should be doing as far as inspecting their boats. And I think in that regard, this thing worked like like a champ. It, it, it achieved that goal. But I thought it was cool just the state of North Dakota working with uh, yeah. the state of Washington and, and doing something like this and kind of gets gets people thinking. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a cool deal. I mean, it, like you said, it's cool when you see a dog being put to work in kind of this, you know, very unique fashion. Like it's not something that I've ever heard of until I saw this article before. You, you, you see the stories about obviously seeing eye dogs and helping people with disabilities and being able to detect when a person is going to have a seizure. So this is just another cool thing that dogs are able to do that humans aren't. So it's definitely, definitely unique in that aspect. Yeah. Speaking of things that dogs are able to do that humans aren't, my dog just lays on the couch all day long. What I would give for <laughs> mine too. <laughs> right. Yeah, that would be nice. So, well, Blake, I appreciate you coming on this week and, and talking some fishing. Hope that you're going to get an opportunity to get out and do a little fishing this weekend. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks to everybody for watching, listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover. For more ice fishing content, visit our blog at catchcover.com.